John Morant and Desmond Bain outduel Kevin Durant and Kyrie Irving. The Celtics finally drop a game. The Blazers stay hot. The Wolves and Nuggets have defensive problems. The Knicks get another one. We got so much to talk about. This is Locked On NBA. You are Locked On NBA, your daily NBA podcast. Part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. Welcome to Locked On NBA, your daily podcast covering everything across the National Basketball Association. Glad to have you with us. Thanks for making us your first listen. We're free and available on all platforms, including YouTube, where you can join the show and check us out when we go live on Monday nights here with me, Matt Moore. I'm a senior NBA writer at the Action Network alongside David Ramil, co-host of Locked On Heat. You can find him on Twitter at DRamil13. I'm also the co-host of Locked On Nuggets. You can check my show out there. We'll talk about those teams as well as all the teams in the association here on a Monday night as we roll through uh, the the season is in full swing. We've got all this stuff going on. Lots to break down for you. I want to let you know that today's episode is brought to you by LinkedIn. LinkedIn Jobs helps you find the qualified candidates you want to talk to faster. Post your job for free at linkedin.com slash locked on NBA. All right, David, where do you want to start? Why don't we start in Memphis, Tennessee, as the Memphis Grizzlies, who such a fantastic season last year, such a wild season for them, so much success last season, hoping to repeat that energy this year, took on the Brooklyn Nets, who have looked a little shaky out the gate, and this one turned into an absolutely incredible uh, performance from all of the superstars involved in this game. Kevin Durant goes for 37 points on 14 of 20. Kyrie Irving goes for 37 points on 14 of 24. But John ja Morant and Desmond Bain get the win. John ja Morant goes for 38 on 12 of 22. Desmond Bain goes for 38 on 14 of 21. So they were outdueled, and ultimately the Grizzlies pulled away in the second half behind much more cohesive offense. And I have a lot of questions about the Nets' defense. How soon do we start? Typically, how soon do you start looking at, at these early season struggles and saying, oh, these might be more realistic? Because I know I, I'm kind of on the fence about Miami's own struggles to start off the season. And I know a lot of fans are, you know, on either side of the fence, right, where they're already just blow up the team or just dismissing it altogether. But at what point in time do you think it typically clicks in that what we're seeing now at the start of the season is probably a typical for or typical of what we'll see later on down the stretch? So I think for me, it's more about um, there are certain teams that are figuring it out right now, and you can feel confident they will figure it out. They won't all. Some of them will never figure it out. I think the Hawks okay. are an example of that last year, right? Where early on, it was like, well, you know, they're a good team. They just got to figure it out, and they never figured it out. There's two teams we're going to talk about later that I think we can look at and say, I think they're going to figure it out, but it's just going to take some time because they're getting used to it. And there's a lot of teams that have things figured out now that I think we'll probably lose that later. I think it's going to be mm. like harder for them. Um, I think Memphis has, look, Memphis still has a lot of explosive athletes and Memphis still has a lot of talented players and they're getting great contributions from Santiago Dama and, um, you know, Brandon Clark has been great. Like he's just a really helpful player off the bench. Like he had 13 tonight, but for me, a lot of this is just comes down to Brooklyn and, they weren't a good defensive team last year and they don't have a rim protector and they don't Royce O'Neal's a good defender, but not a great one. And Ben Simmons hasn't played basketball in two years. 
I don't find a lot of high quality defenders on that team. And it's, it's pretty obvious and they're very perimeter oriented with their defense. And the Grizzlies were able to carve them up using a a series of screen actions. You know, Steven Adams, Brandon Clark slips, cuts, um, live inside out action on top of jaw and Desmond Bain just absolutely being liquid fire. Like those guys can hit shots, obviously. Uh, Jaws jumper looks really great. That's maybe the most significant outcome, I think, from this game from the Memphis side is that Ja Morant looks like a more complete player. He was four of six from three tonight. You know, 12 of 22 from the field, four of six from three. If Ja has added a consistent jumper, that elevates both the both his individual ceiling and yes. the Grizzly ceiling demonstrably, I think. Yeah, no, that's fair. He's able to get to the line, eight, 11 free throws, uh, 10 of which he was able to hit. Uh, just a fantastic shot from him. Also chipping in eight rebounds and seven assists, two steals. So a fantastic overall night from him. But, I mean, Bain, uh, I, I don't think anybody saw – I know he had some performances last year where it kind of was an eye-opener here, but eight of 11 from three-point range. And, I, again, a lot of that is him being a really, really good shooter, but you also have to – Give credit. I'm not sure if that's the right way of saying it to Brooklyn's lack of defense because uh, they were giving up a lot of open perimeter shots. And give credit to Memphis for being able to knock those down and capitalize. And they certainly did. I mean, shooting 47% from three point range, not an easy way to win a game for Brooklyn if you're giving up that kind of uh, productivity on the perimeter there. So, and they were only shooting 31% themselves from three point range. So, not uh, not a, exactly an even distribution for Brooklyn there, but they're still able to stay in it mostly because of the mid range wizardry of Irving and Durant. Uh, both of them obviously pretty uh, productive, as you pointed out before. Uh, yeah, it's uh, you know, the Nets. Still have a lot of talent. Uh, I'm still a believer in their potency. Uh, I know it's going to, at some point, it's going to click. But you're right that the the overarching problems from last year seem to have extended to this season, too. So I'm not sure if they're going to be able to turn it around. I'm not sure if a trade is going to happen at some point down the stretch where they might be able to finally tweak some of those uh, issues that they have defensively because it just does not seem like they're going to be able to put it together anytime soon. Another game we'll get to before we take a break as far as the marquee games tonight. Uh, the Toronto Raptors were in South Beach, and they hung out there for quite a while. They played on Saturday night, and they wound up then staying and playing the Heat again on Monday. Uh, I thought they might have a little bit of the South Beach flu, and it certainly looked to be that way for much of the game. And then the Heat just fell apart. The Heat lose 98-90 at home uh, to the Toronto Raptors and company. You've got Pascal Siakam with 23 points, nine boards, six assists, two steals, two blocks, and a plus 10 in 41 minutes and 47 seconds. God, they're playing their guys so much. Uh, Fred Van Vliet adds 24 and just six of 16 shooting. Uh, obviously more of a defensive game, right? Like just a real slugfest the way that you would kind of expect in the Eastern Conference. Uh, Jimmy Butler leads the way for Miami with 26 points on eight of 15 shooting. Uh, Tyler Hero goes for 22 points and – I'm sorry – 15 rebounds, David? He's a very good rebounder, despite the, the short arm syndrome that dogged him when he was coming out of the draft. But uh, he's always been very good at finding the right position when it comes to rebounds, and he's been an excellent rebounder over the first three seasons of his career. Obviously, 15, slightly atypical, mostly because Miami just missed a whole hell of a lot of shots, and that's been their problem all season. Their offense just is constantly bogged down, and they face some good teams. Chicago, their opening night. Boston, their second game of the season, and then Toronto twice in a row. The length, overall size of Toronto's roster 
giving Miami some problems. They've had some issues with injury. Victor Lodipo has been out, hasn't played a single minute so far. Caleb Martin, who is a starter, was out because of his altercation against Christian Okoloko on Saturday. Uh, the Toronto Raptors are really good. Miami also played really, really badly. And I've got concerns because it just does not seem like they're able to generate any offenses, offense easily. And, and look, Kyle Lowry has struggled. He had some decent games, a sandwich in between a really atrocious showing that first night against the Bulls and then followed that up with a really bad showing tonight as well. And I'm not sure if Miami can afford to live and die with Kyle Lowry hitting that three-pointer consistently. But he's also not getting people organized. He's not the floor general that Miami expecting him to be. He's not setting anybody up on offense. He's not able to drive to the rim, and he's certainly not hitting from three-point range. The Raptors' big weakness from a structural standpoint outside of you know their bench and the fact they have to play their starters 48 minutes a game is at the center position. So when I see Bam Adebayo goes 4 of 14 from the field, I kind of my, my inclination, having not watched this game because we have to split up the, the assignments, it, my inclination is kind of be like, this is exactly the, the Bam problem. He's got an easy matchup, and he still can't produce points. What was Bam's uh, game like tonight? Well, Coloco started uh, because Scotty Barnes was out because he rolled his ankle on Saturday, so he might miss some of the time. Uh, Coloco, as a run protector, a little bit more size. I think probably challenged Bam a little bit more than he was accustomed to, and then he's not able to get to the rim so easily because, well, just the fact that they have – Eight guys that are six between six six and six nine in the roster that can challenge him at every opportunity. So he doesn't have the same advantage as he normally does as far as being able to utilize his speed and strength to be able to get past that initial defender. Uh, it's it's he's been more aggressive to start the season. At the same time, the shots just aren't following, and I'm not sure he's being taxed a lot defensively. With Tyler in the starting lineup, he's being attacked constantly, and, and this is probably Tyler's best season defensively. But just seems like everybody's eyes light up when they see Hero guarding them. They've been forcing a lot of action. Opponents have been forcing a lot of actions to get him on the switch. They're targeting him constantly. And he's held his own more often than not. But then, you know, Bam being the defender that he is, often comes over to help. And then he has to run over and close that to somebody on the perimeter. That's led to a lot of open looks for opponents, too. And I think it's taking its toll. What he's putting in defensively is taking its toll on what he can do offensively. 92.8 offensive rating for Miami in this one. So, yeah, not great. Uh, we'll come back and we'll talk about the exact opposite problem with a couple of teams and whether or not they can figure it out. We'll do that when we come back on Locked On NBA. But first, I need to tell you about LinkedIn Jobs. These days, every new potential hire can feel like a high-stakes wager for your small business. You want to be 100% certain that you have access to the best qualified candidates available, and that's why you have to check out LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn Jobs helps find the right people for your team faster and for free. Uh, I've done hiring before. I've actually owned a small business before, and hiring was always one of the biggest challenges. You're going through this entire application process. And whenever I talk to people about job searches, I often mention the how random the process can oftentimes be. These tools at LinkedIn Jobs help you make a random process that might be subject to bias or happenstance or circumstance and actually get you the right candidate, which is so important. You know, simple tools like screening questions make it easy to focus on candidates with just the right skills and experience so you can quickly prioritize who you like and who you want to interview and who you want to actually hire. That one team member can be all the difference. Sometimes it's one person that adds to your team that really gets your business going. It's why small businesses rate LinkedIn Jobs number one in delivering quality hires versus leading competitors. LinkedIn Jobs helps you find the qualified candidates you want to talk to faster. Post your job for free at LinkedIn.com slash LockedOnNBA. 
That's linkedin.com slash locked on NBA to post your job for free. Terms and conditions apply. We'll be right back on Locked On NBA. And now make your second lesson game to game NBA. Every moment, every top performance, every result. Locked on game to game covers every game from across with local analysis that only Locked On can deliver. Follow game to game on Locked On NBA, available on the Odyssey app, YouTube, and wherever you get podcasts. Back here with David Rommel breaking down the Monday slate in the NBA. David, let's go ahead and take on two teams in the Northwest Division that have a similar problem and suffered pretty bad losses on monday night we'll start with the denver nuggets who gave up 135 points to the portland trailblazers in portland the nuggets what a random season they're kind of having so far so they drop the opener to the jazz which no longer seems like such a bad loss right out of the gate they go on the road to golden state and they get a big win on friday night they follow that up with a home opener win versus the thunder not necessarily impressive but they got the job done and then they get absolutely eradicated by a Blazers team who is red hot right now. This is a, a game where I want to be very clear. The Blazers look equally as awesome as the Nuggets looked bad. Like both of those things are in equal proportion. With Memphis, Brooklyn, I will tell you, I lean a little bit more to Brooklyn's defense is really terrible. And yeah. Memphis had the athletes in the spot at home to take advantage. This really is like Anthony Simons stepped into some drop spots with the Nuggets playing drop coverage with Nikola Jokic and got hot, and then he caught fire, and they were contesting, and it just didn't matter. Simons goes for 29 points, with 22 of those coming in the third quarter alone as they storm back to take the lead and ultimately run away with this one. 11 of 17 for Simons, 7 of 12 from three-point range. Damian Lillard, who some folks have been kind of talking about, hasn't looked off them. I think he's looked fine. 31 points on 10 of 16 and 4 of 7 from 3. They had it going from outside. Uh, Dame also finishes with 8 assists and 6 boards in this one and a plus 24. The starting unit really ran away with it. More good minutes from Shaden Sharp. Really good minutes there. So, honestly, the Blazers defense didn't really have much to write home about, and they're not going to play a lot of minutes, and that's okay. This is a really great game for them completely. We talked about uh, the impressive rebounding of, of Tyler Hero. Josh Hart can blow me away with his rebounding, 11 boards for Hart, and he helped push the pace to get downhill versus the Blaze, versus the Nuggets and really challenge them. Denver's defense is horrific right now. It is terrible. This is a unit that Michael Malone said the goal was to be top five in the NBA by the end of the season. Now, look, I've seen teams start off like this and wind up with a top five unit. I will say, though, that Denver has always been better when they play more aggressive. Jokic is better when he's at the level contesting, but it takes a lot out of them. So last season, they started switching to more of a drop scheme. I yell about this all the time. You have to make a decision. Like, I get wanting to keep your guys rested. I understand that in the playoffs, you can't play at the level all the time. Teams will carve you up. In the regular season, if you're a team with a slow center who is not able to challenge in space, you better play aggressive because otherwise teams are walking into shots like the Blazers did tonight. Denver's defense, it's not an effort level thing. Last couple of seasons with Denver, I can tell you it was an effort level thing. They have a scheme problem in Denver, I think, David. 
Is there a concern that their offense just isn't clicking right now and that's leading to some wide open looks for Portland? Because I know, I mean, on a night where Jamal Murray goes 3 of 12 and they shoot some, you know, they shot well or decently overall, 50% from the field. But uh, it seemed like some of those open looks that weren't falling for them might have led to some easy transition buckets for the Blazers. Is that part of the problem as well, in your opinion? I think the spacing is a little bit of an issue. So one of the stories, if you're talking about offensively from Denver, and I think Denver's offense was fine as a whole, but Nikola Jokic finishes with nine points, nine boards, nine assists. He shoots just four times. He shot four times in this game and had three free throws in total. This has become a consistent issue. Now, if they win, it's what what an awesome game by Jokic to not have to dominate on the scoreboard. That's what makes him a winning player, getting everybody involved. And if they lose, it's why wasn't Nikola Jokic more aggressive? I will tell you, covering the team, that Nikola seemed a little grumpy this season to start. This looked a little bit more like the like the Nikola Jokic from two to three seasons ago, where mm-hmm. three seasons ago, really, at this point. Um, he started off red hot the last two years when he won MVP. He looks like a guy that has played a lot of basketball, that had to go to play in Eurobasket, that went right into the regular season, that didn't get enough time to ride horses in Serbia, uh, <laughs> and knows how long the NBA season is again. I don't know that that means that he's... I think a lot of it is he tries to read how teams are guarding him. Like nine assists yeah. is nine assists, but there's a little bit of the offense doesn't necessarily have enough mechanisms now to get like, they can't be like, all right, let's try and get Nicola going here. That's a struggle for them. If teams are scheming against it because of where Murray's at physically. So still a lot for them to figure out, I think. So what are the defensive schematic issues that they can correct? Can they, I mean, they're not going to become a switch everything with a team with uh, Nicola out there. Uh, So, I mean, is it just a matter of changing personnel or tweaking something that's starting lineup? I know Michael Porter Jr. is still not a great defender. Uh, That's probably putting it mildly. So what else is there an option there for Denver? This is the challenge is that the only real option for them is to play at the level. So you pull the, you, you bring the big up at the level of the screen and you challenge the ball handler. You let the big man go in the role. And you have to scramble on the back line. It's it's hard. It's a lot of yeah. effort. It, it takes a lot. I do not know that there is another way for the Denver Nuggets to get stops consistently. Uh, drop coverage has never, ever been something that has worked for them. The teams that play drop effectively, one, mix it up quite a bit, and two, have a big that can maneuver, can, that can play up and then retreat quickly with athleticism. That's not Jokic. They have top line perimeter defenders now denver's got aaron gordon kcp and at times bruce brown those are all very good defenders and they've shown it at times this season the problem is that opponents know this so when they're running these things they're just like we're not going to run to that side if kcp if the good defender that can dig effectively is on is on the left side they're going to run pick and roll to the right with mpj or jamal murray like it's hard to find to, to be able to target when you have three subpar defenders on the floor, which Murray was a good defender before his injury, but when you have three subpar defenders on the floor, you better put pressure and try and compensate that way. Like with Simons tonight, do you blitz Simon? Do you put two pressure on the ball? And then does that, while you're scrambling, you might leave Jeremy Grant, uh, Josh Hart or Damian Lillard open. Do you want to do that? Right? So you're like, we'll live with Anthony Simons, but yeah. Simons made him pay tonight. Yeah. Coaching would tell you that it's about execution. If guys just execute the scheme better, they can be good enough. I don't know that that's true. I don't know that Denver has the personnel for them to be able to do what they want to do. So that's going to be a, a point of contention for Denver, and it's going to be a challenge for them as the season goes on. 
as it might be honestly for the Minnesota Timberwolves who dropped to the San Antonio Spurs 116-105. The Spurs looked like, to me, David, the worst team I maybe had ever seen in the first game of the season. And now they're 2-1 and one with a win versus the Philadelphia 76ers and the Minnesota Timberwolves. Um, this was actually more about Minnesota's offense, though, I think. Minnesota's yeah. still trying to figure out a lot. They give up a 110 defensive rating, which isn't good. Um, they really... I, I watch the Timberwolves and there's a lot of like, boy, I don't know. I'm really concerned. I think that the Wolves are just, are basically just trying to figure stuff out. I think this is going to take time, but they got booed at home in a loss to the Spurs. And Anthony Edwards was uncomfortable with that fact. Edwards' defense has not been good to start the season. D'Angelo Russell's is never good. You could probably beat this team with better defense from the Wolves, but if they're only going to put up a 102 offensive rating, they're not going to win either. Yeah, three of fifteen from Anthony Edwards. Was he thrown off offensively by something the Spurs did defensively, or was it just the booing at home that kind of got into his head a little bit? Because I imagine that he probably it was probably the shooting that led to the booing more than anything else. You know, he had, he missed some good looks, like one of eight from three. I think he was forcing it a little bit. I also mm-hmm. think that um, they're not finding the kind of spots that they're used to. It's they're trying to to work this kind of stuff out. Like Carl Anthony Towns goes for twenty seven on nine of seventeen shooting and eleven boards, five assists. And Cat really was great. The bench unit had a lot of trouble. And you look at this, and, and D'Angelo Russell shot well, uh, but they couldn't get stops. They couldn't get stops with the starters on the floor, and then they couldn't score when the bench unit was on the court. And that combination was really rough. I do want to credit the the Spurs here. Jakob Pertl yeah. in particular, uh, 14 points, 14 boards. He was awesome. He was so good in a really tough spot versus Rudy Gobert and Carl Anthony Towns. That's so much work he had to do, and he was great. Uh, Devin Vassell was excellent with 23 points on 8 of 22 shoots. Keldon Johnson throws in 18 points on 20 shots. Uh, but San Antonio really, like, look, San Antonio shot 32% from three. There was no reason why the why the Wolves should have not won this game. Like, they just, they should have won this game, and they're not able to really figure it out. I think that the Wolves will be fine in about a month, but I think okay. it's going to take some time for them to figure it out. Yeah, and that's fine. I mean, that you, you swing for a major trade to acquire Gobert, and you acquire a centerpiece like that. Uh, it's going to change the way you do things, and you can't expect that product to gel right away. I mean, regardless of whatever you saw during the preseason, it's going to take time. Uh, that is the preseason. It's only just to test things out, and it's not necessarily going to carry over to the regular season. They're still 2-2. Two and two. I'm, I'm a little surprised at the Boo Birds a little early in this season. I know it looks ugly, and, and you know the Spurs are not supposed to be a particularly good team, although they have won three or four games. Uh, that probably will normalize at some point. But at, at the same time, from Minnesota's perspective, you just kind of kind of have to figure it out and, and keep working at it and uh, you expect Chris Finch to be able to do something and uh, get the players all on the same page but they do have defensive problems there uh, just because as good a defender as Gobert is uh, you have other players in that starting lineup Cat, D'Angelo Russell uh, that are not good defenders and so it's going to shift your scheme a little bit and, and, and force you into some bad spots Final one we'll get to is uh, the Boston Celtics finally lost a game they lost Ooh. to the Chicago Bulls in Chicago, I was surprised at this outcome. Jalen Brown, yeah. who'd been absolutely on fire the first couple of games for Boston, and the Celtics' offense looked unstoppable. They finally came back to earth tonight. Uh, Jalen Brown was twenty-one, had twenty-one points on eight of twenty-three shooting, two of seven from the field. He'd been absolutely so efficient. Not surprising that he came back down to earth a little bit, but the degree to which it was was tough. Jason Tatum wasn't great, eight of eighteen, twenty-six points, eight rebounds, five assists. Tatum still looks like he's primed for an MVP level run. Uh, really the problem though was the bench. So Boston's bench 
with Grant Williams on the floor, including Grant Williams was ejected for making contact with an official that was deemed aggressive. Uh, so it was ejected in that game. Uh, Grant Williams in only 18 minutes was a minus 26. Malcolm Brogdon in 22 <laughs> minutes, minus 24. The bench got absolutely lit up by a Bulls bench that you're not like, ooh, wow. Uh, Alex Caruso was a plus 29 while scoring seven points. Uh, they just got stops and stops and stops and really were able to just kind of uh, hammer them. Billy Donovan kind of changed up the rotation a little bit with Patrick Wilson back in the starting lineup. Um, I Sumu, I want to shout him out 22 points, six assists. He was great. Had some absolutely fantastic finishes. Uh, Andre yeah. Drummond gave them good minutes. Goran Dragic gave them good minutes. I thought even though Dragic didn't necessarily hit as many shots, Derek Jones Jr. Uh, added in 10, but that bench unit for Boston really fell apart. This is kind of the, this is more of what I think I kind of expected from Boston as opposed to just eradicating worlds was for there to be nights where the bench unit, because they gave up so much depth to get Brogdon was kind of tough. So um, look, Celtics have been at it. Uh, they've looked really, really great. I guess it's not surprising that they had a random night. I'm not sure what to take of it. I do want to credit the Bulls, though, for this team is up against a lot of adversity right now, and they've actually managed to stay together pretty well. Yeah, they, they should absolutely get credit because the Celtics were up 19 at one point. It looked like yeah. they were going to completely blow out this team, and then the Bulls slowly started to find a way to chip in. Nikola Vucevic having a good night on the rebounds there, 23 boards, I think. Uh, you know, fantastic night from him, a solid overall offense. DeMar doing what he does, getting a good showing from Zach Levine as well, who's back in the starting lineup. Uh, I think it's just the second game of the season, and they look pretty Solid. Uh, so, yeah, a good overall effort. I think we did a, a disservice of the Bulls by discounting them. Uh, I think they were widely overlooked as perhaps one of those teams that are not quite a contender, but they've looked pretty good. At least they looked good against Miami on the opening night of the season. Uh, and they also look good today. Again, for a double-digit deficit like that, it gets a really good solid defense like Boston's. So they were able to find their way, pick their spots, uh, and tighten their defense as well to be able to shut down uh, you know, two incredible scorers in Tatum and Brown. Let's take a break. We'll come back and we'll wrap up with the rest of the games in the association, including the New York Knicks mm-hmm. and hot. And the Philadelphia 76ers finally, finally get a win. We'll do that <laughs> when we come back on Locked on NBA. Thanks for making Locked On NBA your first listen. For your next listen, check out Locked On Sports Today. The biggest stories of the day, plus instant reactions, big game recaps, and the take of the day. Available on the Odyssey app, YouTube, and wherever you get podcasts. All right, back here, final segment with David Ramil. You can check him out at dramil 13 on Twitter. I'm at HP Basketball. Thanks for joining us and making us part of your day. Uh, all right, David, so wrapping up with the slate on Monday. Let's take a look at the Sixers and the Pacers. You know... The Philadelphia 76ers were, were going to have to win a game for some time after such a horrific start to their season. Uh, and it turns yeah. out that the Indiana Pacers were there to go ahead and help them get the job done. Uh, look, this wasn't, I don't think, a surprising outcome given that the Pacers uh, are look to be a maybe a, a tanking team. Uh, Benedict Matherin tonight slows down a little bit after shooting 50% yeah. from three the first couple of games. He was one of seven tonight, 17 points and six of 16 shooting. Uh, the Sixers get 26 from Embiid. 
five rebounds in just 28 minutes for MB because he was in foul trouble with five. Uh, Tyrese Maxey struggled again, <laughs> eight points on three of 11, uh, two of five from three. But there's James Harden, 29, 9, and 11, looking like James Harden of old. And the bench unit was really great for the Sixers as well. D'Anthony Melton uh, with 11 points. Uh, Jordan Niang added 13 points with three of six shooting. That's good for me because I continue to be the last person that thinks Niang could be a viable shooter uh, in the NBA. Uh, <laughs> Tobias Harris added 18 points on 50% shooting from the field. Uh, yeah. I, the Sixers were going to win a game. I don't know that this game script, to me, when I watched it, it did. Like the vibes are not better. This doesn't look like a team that's getting everybody involved. This still looks way right. too much like too much Harden. I still don't necessarily find like I think Embiid is still bothered by their conditioning or the plantar fasciitis that was revealed. Or this both. isn't a, a fix all, but it gets them uh, it gets them off the ledge, so to speak. Yeah, I, I think that's fair. I, I saw the game too, and and they didn't look particularly dynamic so much as in the end it just looked inept, particularly defensively at times. Uh, there's not much they could do. I mean, their their front court is diminished by injury. Uh, I, I can't call the players. Isaiah Jackson was it? He was guarding Embiid for long stretches there and not even able to really hold his own there. I mean, Embiid uh, a force to reckon with under normal circumstances. And even when he's hurt, he's still dangerous, obviously. Uh, so they were a little bit manhandled, and that's to be expected. Indiana not a particularly good team. I wonder if maybe Miles Turner had been there, whether or not it would have been a different you know, outcome. Uh, so you're right. I, I don't think they've fixed everything. But like, just like we said about Minnesota and other teams, they're still figuring it out. Uh, you, you were really bullish on them to start the season. I know you thought they were going to be a, a world beater. Are you more concerned after these first four games there that maybe they won't be able to figure it out as easily as you would stop? Yeah, I, I would say that my concern level is, is significant. I think if you look at this... Um, there's a lot of talk about how this looks like Harden's team. I attribute a lot more of that to be about how Embiid is playing. I think Embiid, when he's active and engaged, the ball finds him. I think when he's not active and engaged and is sulking and looks miserable and out of shape, he tends to fade into the background a little bit more. And luckily he had you know, 26 tonight because he's a dominant player. Uh, they need to get back to playing that style. That's when they're at their best is when Embiid is really the weapon and is the hammer and then everything. You need Embiid to be the hammer and everyone else needs to be the scalpel. And I think right now they don't feel like they can do that with Embiid, so Harden is really directing a lot of that. Yeah, Tyrese Maxey needs to be a bigger part of this team. He's really good. That's a good point. He's been, a, he's been good. He's earned a bigger role, and there's a lot of talk about him being unhappy. I don't blame him. Like that young man has to worry about getting like his career, and this is supposed to be a breakout season for him, and he looks like a complete afterthought. Like Tobias Harris is going to fill in the gaps. That's what that's what Tobias Harris does, and he's going to not complain, do his job, and go home. But Tyrese Maxey has a lot running on this season, and he's not getting those kind of opportunities. If they don't find a better, more equilateral way for them to run the offense, this is going to be a problem because it cannot be the Harden show. For one, because he's not the same player he was either. He will wear down. Hmm. Um, yeah, I would say my concern level is is pretty high. It's not like panic, but you know, not feeling awesome about it. Uh, the Sixers <laughs> finally got a win. The yeah. Jazz finally caught a loss, and of all places, to Houston. The Houston Rockets <laughs> knock off the Utah Jazz. Kevin Porter Jr. goes for 26 on 8 of 19 shooting along with 10 boards and 4 assists. Great game from him. Uh, Jalen yep. Green goes for 25. 9 of from <laughs> 4 of 8 from 3. Did not come off the bench in this one. Um, and, <laughs> you know, really, I think a, a lot of this was the Jazz were kind of 
probably do for a little bit of a, of a regression here. Their defense just was simply not good enough. Um, that's going to be the weak point for them when they're not. The first couple of games in the Jazz were winning where the Jazz were hitting all of the shots in all the world, and they only shot 34% from three tonight. They shot 47% from the field because they're playing the Rockets. You can't defend anybody. But if you don't defend, the Rockets will tear you up. That's going to be the difference in this year's Rockets team versus last is they have enough weapons. Like the Rockets put up uh, pretty good numbers here to get the win. They shot, you know, they only shot 31% from, from three, but they got 35 attempts. And that's going to work in your favor for a large part. They actually were, they were without Albert Shangun in this game, another surprising yeah. kind of turn of events, but they were efficient enough to go ahead and get the win. And the Jazz finally lose. Wah, wah, because Danny Ainge can sleep at night. Yeah, uh, there was an altercation too on the bench between Jalen Green and Jabari Smith that a lot of people are making a big deal about. I don't. I think it's kind of being overblown. It looked a lot worse. The cameras just happened to catch it. Broadcast crew didn't even really discuss it or bring it up. So I don't think it's worth really getting into. But a solid win for the Rockets, who finally get their first win of the season. And finally, the New York Knicks. Look at the Knicks two and one. They beat the Orlando Magic of all the zero and four. Uh, Paolo Bancaro, another good night, 21 points, 6 of 13. Didn't hit a three tonight. Uh, just four mm. boards and two assists for Bancaro, but another strong scoring performance. Wendell Carr Jr. had 17 for the Magic, but the overall offense was still poor. The Magic shoot 42% from the field. Their bench got trounced in this game. Uh, guess who's back, David? Julius Randle. Julius Randle's back, baby. 25 points, 12 boards, 4 assists, 10 of 19 from the field at 53%. Uh, on two corners, that looks like eight of ten from the field from two point range for Julius Randle. Cutting, being active, uh, really looking good. RJ Barrett had an inefficient night, but honestly, it's okay. I will say one thing that's kind of important, I think, to look at with the the Knicks is Thibodeau for all of his uh, various things to complain about, and I, I have a few. They will the the defensive effort won't be poor, and. If you have capable players that have any sort of offensive flow, whatever, and you give effort on defense, that's going to be enough at home to get you past the magic. These yep. wins are important if the Knicks are going to try and make a playoff push. These are the games you need to win. You need to be Orlando. You need to be Detroit. You need to be the bad teams. If you can do that, that's going to set you up well. So this is nothing to necessarily write home about, but from where I'm at, handling this game, never having it really be a threat, taking care of a really terrible team that – I had hopes might look a little bit better, and maybe the Magic will get it better as the season goes on. Especially, I still think they're missing Markel Fultz a lot. Um, need a guard. It turns out guards are important. But the Knicks, I, I think, I I think the Knicks are decent. I don't think that they're going to be world beaters, but I think they're going to be decent this season. That's all you can hope for, right? I mean, you make a splash to try to acquire, uh, you know, a big player in Jalen Brunson, or not a big player, but a big name player in Jalen Brunson. Uh, and you want to show something immediate. You want to be able to turn it around and say, oh, we're, we're a definite playing team or playoff team. It's not a, a guarantee. Uh, at the same time, you have to be able to take these wins and, and build from them and, and show that maybe over the course of the season, you can continue to grow, develop, get a couple other players to step up. A big night for Abby Toppin. I don't think you mentioned him earlier, but a solid overall shooting from him. I know that you like his minutes whenever he's out on the floor and he should get more of them. Uh, so overall, just nothing but positives for the New York Knicks so far in the season. Yeah, I mean, the Magic, they don't need a win. Uh, they're looking to improve, and they've shown that they can be at least an entertaining team so far this season. 
Yeah, by the way, 21 and 6 for Jalen Brunson, who continues to uh, put together a case early season, of course, set the table for a possible most improved player uh, candidate. So that's going to wrap it up for Locked On NBA for a Tuesday. Thanks for joining us. Jake Madison and John Corrales will be back tomorrow, wrapping up the Tuesday night games. We've got some interesting ones on the slate, including a Warriors Suns matchup. This should be a lot of fun. Make sure to tune back in here. Give us the five star reviews. Check us out on YouTube. See a live version of the show. Thanks for joining us. For David Ramel, I'm Matt Moore. We'll see you guys again next time. I'm on